Hello, hello, and welcome to another podcast episode of Overpowering Emotions, where I talk all things big emotions, emotion regulation, and of course, resilience. We are on our journey of resilience, and I'm very excited to have a guest today who's going to share about his journey. He's got so many things uh, that has happened in his life, but through it all, even with all of the challenges and adversities that he's faced, he has paved his way and become very successful. And so I wanted to share his story because it's just to show, you know, despite some of those big traumas, potential traumas in our life, when we have the right environment around us, supporting us, even if we have these significant events in our life, we can still be very resilient later on in life. And Siraj is a great example of that. So I'd like to introduce Siraj Atharajan. He is a career coach and he really helps people overcome self-doubts, cognitive biases, and toxic work challenges. He was a refugee himself during the Kuwait invasion in 1990, and that really shaped his life perspective. And we're going to be talking a little bit about that, but also just things that have happened, you know, as a child. And I will have all of his social medias and things like that in the in in the show notes. So definitely check him out, but listen to his story because I think it's very powerful. I'm also going to share a clip for, for you. So afterwards, if you would like, it's from the Ray Charles film. Just another example of how us swooping in for our children isn't always the best. Sometimes they need to problem solve and figure things out, and that's going to help them build their confidence and their resilience. So hope you enjoy. Well, Sue Bredge, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. It's wonderful having you. Thank you for having me. Why don't we start off with you telling us a little bit about yourself? Sure, absolutely. Um, the thing that I can remember first major incident in my life was grow growing up in Kuwait, uh, eating, you know, American food for the most part, not as much Indian food, going to an Indian school where all the kids spoke English as a common language. So that happens to be my first language. And I remember in 1990, when the Gulf War first happened and the Iraqis invaded Kuwait, that was a very big turning point in my life because that's when I started learning fundamental things. Like not everyone celebrated Christmas, not everyone celebrated Diwali or Eid and things like that. So the world was way different than the echo chamber that I was living in. Um, momentarily for two years, we moved to India. Uh, we moved out as refugees. We were there and then returned back to Kuwait after the war ended and my parents, they got their jobs back. And for uh, grad, uh, undergrad and grad school, I came here to the United States in 2001, right before, a few days before 9-11 happened. Wow. To study aerospace engineering because I wanted <laughs> to be an astronaut. And it happened and I just got my glider pilot license. I came to do aerospace engineering, landed, and I had FBI knocking on my door because I fit the profile, right? And so then it was another um, fork in the road to decide what I wanted to do next. And so I switched from electrical, from aerospace, I switched to mechanical engineering because it's in the same department. I thought, let, let the dust settle. I joined a space program uh, helping deploy uh, solar panels for a MARSAC through Arizona State. And then at the same time, even though I grew up in Kuwait my whole life, uh, back then I had Indian citizenship. So India had their nuclear test done and India fell under ITAR 
three, which is you cannot work for NASA or GPL-funded projects. Oh, oh no. Teachers again for the third time and switched to electrical engineering. And then one thing led to another. I ended up, I was very fortunate to find my first full-time job working uh, as an analog IC design engineer, like a circuit designer in the semiconductor industry. And even the way I got in there was a story on its own. And I'm curious if you want to know further, I can dive into that. Um, one thing led to another. I uh, found my wife who happens to be my girlfriend uh, back in the time. And it was just like a very cliche Bollywood movie. Mm. You moved from Pittsburgh, uh, Pennsylvania, from Carnegie Mellon to California, and that's what brought me to California for work. And I've been in California since 2007 in the Bay Area, working on um, semiconductors, then IoT, and then uh, global technical uh, customer support and uh, customer training. And then two years ago, I quit all of that and jumped and started my own company called Grow You Now to help tech professionals uh, find resilience and uh, overpower maybe some sort of uh, you know emotions that they have to deal with on a regular basis. And I think that's how we got connected. So I'll take a pause. There's, yeah, yeah, there's so much in there. There's so much in there. And you're right. Like, I know that your background and you, like, you wouldn't be the typical kind of guest that I would have on my show, but your story, right? I, it's funny because we're just, um, I consult with other psychologists and with other professionals and someone had brought up, you know, a, a, a teenager that they're working with mm -hmm. who isn't here. So immigrated to Canada and expected to be up here achieving and is, you know, here. And we expect the smooth sail to get here. And I think parents too will expect like we need to give our children a safe, beautiful path all the way to, to here. And even just the other day, I'm like, but there's all of these walls that we need to have in our way. And the, the higher these walls, the, the more robust we are in terms of our resilience. And that's kind of what I hear in your story. There's a war. Like you went so fast. There was a war and you came to the United States and then attack, right? So at wall, wall, and then, you know, all of your, your education that you've been doing and just wall barriers, barriers, barriers. And so many people would be crippled by one of those walls. And yet you are able to endure. So I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? What would I, would I say that anything that jumps out for you? Yeah, I think um, life is a team sport. So if it went for the people who helped me along the way, and so many of them at different points in time, they came and they exited. If it went for them, I wouldn't be here talking to you today, for sure. And of course, I do have to give myself credit for putting the hard work and resilience. But that that is, um, I think some of it is chance. Mm. Because you could jump, you can fall on either side. And one of the stories that I like to share is, the story between a superhero and a supervillain, the same backstory. Both have a very bad childhood. Both have trauma, right? The superhero like Batman lost the parents, uh, take some of the villains, they have a scar. So it's just a, back, a bad backstory. Superhero says, the world hurt me. I'm going to make sure that no one, the world doesn't hurt anyone else. And a villain says, the world hurt me. I'm going to hurt everyone else. So I almost feel like it's by chance you could you're on the edge of a blade and you can fall on either side. Mm. So no one's wrong. It's just on which side they fall. Right. 
Oh, that's so powerful. I always use superheroes, a lot of Marvel characters, actually. I do love Batman, though. So I, I have a little bit of DC, you know, uh, universe in me. But um, yeah, that's a great metaphor. So for you, it was the support. And that's one piece when I look at resilience. The very first, you know, rung of the pyramid is environment and the connections and supports we have. It's not like the internal grit. It's the world that's around us. So for you, what, what did that support look like? What was helpful for you to fall on, you know, the, the super hero side of the blade? Um, it's easy to look at the world and say, there's a lot of bad happening. And, you know, there is a lot of bad happening, but at the same time, if you just look calmly enough, there are people who will extend their hands. And I think for most of us, we just have to extend ours and get their help. So I think for some reason or the other, I think I heard so much that I needed help, or at least I figured I needed help. So I did go and ask for help. For example, even when I came to the U.S. for undergrad uh, studies, I had friends and I referred to them as my older brothers and older sisters, because I genuinely feel that way. And um, that helped me at every single stage, whether it be in childhood. And um, there is a very specific story in but so far, it's been pretty dramatic. Uh, I want to share one specific story of where I did get help. So this was during the Gulf War. We, had, we were in India. And like I mentioned, my first language is English. So I did not even understand fully my native language, which is Tamil. And for some reason, it was in the middle of the day, and my grandfather's friend happened to take me on a bus to the main uh, downtown area to some bank or something, you had to do some stuff. And I had no clue why I was with him. Nevertheless, on the way back, we entered the bus, a different bus, but we realized very quickly it was the wrong bus. And he was able to get out of the bus because of, there was a huge crowd, but for some reason I couldn't exit out of the bus. So I was stuck in eight years old, as old as my oldest daughter right now. And I went to the conductor of the bus and I'm only speaking in English. And I say, hey, you know what? I'm lost because of what happened. He's, the first thing he asked me is, okay, do you know where you live? Or do you know how to get home? I said, I know the main bus stop closest to my house. And from there, I can walk. He said, are you really sure? Would you promise me that you'll be safe if you reach it? I said, yes. So we went to the end of the bus stop, the bus depot. And he had to change his route in order to you know, get me home. So he got me into one of the bus and he said, hey, you sit here. You don't talk to anybody. If someone says move, don't move till I come. I said, yeah, sure, no problem. Uh, after a few minutes, he shows up and um, along with him, another friend of his, another conductor or bus driver shows up and he's like, hey, what are you doing with this kid here? And he mentions what happens. And I'm sitting right there and the other friend says, hey, you know what? The kid doesn't look that bad. You can actually sell him and make some good money out of this. And I'm, I'm sitting right there. So essentially like human trafficking, right? Yeah. He, he brushed him away, like the, the conductor who I sought help with brushed him away and he turned towards me and he said, hey, you'll be fine. Just ignore what, what he had to say. So yeah, sure, no problem. Um, he did drop me in that one bus stop. And I don't know the language out there. Yeah. And I walked my way back home and I don't think he even knows if I made it home or anything, but he, he played his part. Right. So when I look at situations like that or coming out of war, I'm like, 
things can get really bad. So I can either complain about it or do something about what I have. And I think for me, that was the big, big eureka moment when I was eight years old. It's like, um, let, me, let me try to make, of, make life worthwhile because I've been fortunate to come across people like that. Fortunate to come across someone like you today. Right, right. Well, there are a lot of good people out there. It's just, it's easy for us to get sucked in. And and I just got it, like you were eight years old and how resilient were you to find a way to reach out for help and to find a way to get home, right? And I think now, like we don't even let our children off the front lawn or down the block, you know? And like, sometimes our children need to have these opportunities. You figured it out. It was probably scary for everybody, um, but you were able to figure it out. And so that just shows how much resilience even an eight-year-old can have when when we're when we're given that opportunity. I mean, not that we're gonna leave our children now on buses, <laughs> but 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 you were able to rise to that opportunity. Now, like let's fast forward a little bit. And and if you need to go back at any point, that that's okay, but let's fast forward a little bit just to, you know like getting a master's degree is hard in and of itself, but then not being able to move anywhere and have to go back to school for something else and then back to school for something else. Like how, I I guess, what has helped you just persist and not just throw up your hands and be like, you know, I'm done. I give up. Um, One thing is quickly realizing that no one else is going to help me if I don't help myself. Like people will help you if you're ready to help yourself. right? Right. I think that was very important to understand. And I think if you're fundamentally, if you understand how any living organism operates, we want to survive. We're always fighting to survive and push death away. And I think if you view it that way, you see a lot of people say it, it sounds very cliche. If today was the last day you have to live, how would you live your life? It's cliche, but it's also true. And I think those are the situations where, okay, when a door closes, just go and try to open another door. All you can do is try, mm-hmm. or you can sit in, in gloom because I noticed when I would cry, there was no one next to me through all of these things. So I'm like, okay, I. So that's the other thing when we talk about kids, right? And we're trying to help them. Maybe I need to be a little more calmer with my kids in terms of you're sick, you fell down and you bruised your knee, get up. It's okay, mm-hmm. right? I might be a very tough parent and I think I might need to calm down in that regard with them. But at the same time, if I build that resilience in them, they will survive even when I'm not around. And for me as a parent, I'm not here to make sure that they score the highest points, marks, get into sports. They need to be safe and protect themselves when I'm not around. Mm -hmm. I'm not their friend, I'm their parent. And I think that's the role at least that I take. And that's what life taught me. So I'm trying to emulate that in a safer way for them. We take a pause. Thoughts, questions, comments. Yeah, and, and I like I'm I'm always say like supportive. We're validating. Like, ouch, that must have hurt. So, yeah. what are you gonna? But what what are you gonna do? But the confidence. So the support, validation, and then the confidence that I know that you can figure it out. Have you ever watched the movie Charles? It, it's the story about Ray Charles. I yes, I believe so. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, and I'm, I'll leave a clip of it in the show notes. I actually haven't watched it, but there is one clip that I share all the time whenever I do my speaking, and this kind of reminds me of it. So, for those who don't know, Ray Charles was not born blind. He developed blindness. I don't know how old he was, but he was a child. He was a fairly small child. Um, but there's a clip where he comes running in and he falls down, 
And he starts crying, mama, mama, mama. And you can see the mom wanting to rush to him. Like, oh my goodness, my little boy, he's going blind, right? But it's such a pivotal moment because she stops and she slowly turns back to whatever it was that she was doing. So he could learn because she must, like, she realized if I'm always running to him, he's never going to develop that capacity and that resilience to take care of himself. And he's got to figure it out. It's just so powerful. I'll put I'll put the little clip in in my show notes for everybody just so that they can see that because there is that moment there where we're supportive. She's loving, she cares for him, she's worried about him, but she also realizes like this is an opportunity to build that resilience. And so so that's so important. I think you brought up a fantastic point because I think this is a, a reason or a place where people can misunderstand. It's not toxic pox positivity. You're talking about it's not the same and i think if you were to you know help understand the difference between toxic positivity like always fight through and grind versus what the mother did for charles ray charles in this case was make himself sufficient in a safe environment i think it was still in the kitchen there was a single room home um but i think it's a great clip you mm -hmm. you perhaps can help all of us understand and how to articulate that so that we don't dismiss it based on misunderstandings. Right. Yeah. yeah. There is so much, I mean, that can go just down a whole other wormhole. There's so many people out there. I mean, great. You know, they, they obviously are very inspirational. They're doing very well. Just, you know, the whole positive psychology movement where it's just like, say five good things about yourself and everything that you want to do or like law of attraction, just put it on a vision board and you will be able to see everything. Well, you know, like there is that piece, I guess, but we have to be able to see everything. You know, we can't just always put on our Pollyanna rosy glasses. We need to, you know, acknowledge the good and the bad and the ugly because we need all of it. Right. Sure. Like e even for you in that moment, you, you, you said it yourself, you know, we need to have these moments of, of hitting a wall. That's going to help us like sadness and grief helps us reach out to get the support that we need. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's the people who are, put, you know, grinding their nose to the pavement who have all this grit while well, they're workaholics who are stressing themselves out. They're cutting out all the relationships in their lives. They're not leaving. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I, I think that we got to be careful because it can go so many different ways. I think there's more than two blades or two sides to a blade sometimes. Sometimes. Yeah. And for me, specifically taking those resiliency and if situations that made me a people pleaser that combination was very hurtful because like two years ago I claimed that my superpower was being comfortable with what made me uncomfortable mm -hmm. and I realized that was actually wrong and the reason why I thought it was wrong is because I was resilient and I was people pleasing I was compromising my feelings and my needs and helping someone else and as soon as I freed myself from that metaphor, I was able to give respect and command respect at the same time. And that is something I wish I learned as a, as a child, even if it was high school and in college, it would have helped. So for parents, like you said, you know, who immigrate perhaps to Canada or even in the US, they come from a certain background, certain um, saboteurs and environments. It's not the same here. They are smart, but the rules of engagement are very different. The circumstances are very different. So the way the child actually uh, thrives, they need different coins and tools and things like that. And I think that's what you're deciphering 
and trying to see can they have the resilience, but in the environment that is conducive to their their behaviors. Right. Okay. So there's a few pieces in there. One, like right at the start was just that boundaries, right? So, so boundaries for yourself. Cause I do think, you know, I love your point, you know, getting uncomfortable or getting comfortable with being uncomfortable is important, but within those boundaries, you know, I think that that's important. So what are those, what's different? What are the, you know, you're saying the rules of engagement are so different. What, what are some of those differences? Um, For example, let me leverage Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And okay. it's not to say that there's any one particular place that is better than the other. Uh, situations might be better than the other, but not a place. So for example, if a parent experienced a certain type of troubled childhood and was operating the lower rungs of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, they I believe their brains are conditioned to uh, defend and act in that way their child might not be operating in the lowest rung. They might be somewhere in between or maybe even in the very top, depending on affluence that gets uh, you know, given to them by just moving to a different place. It could be in the West. It could also be in the East. doesn't matter. So the same mindset and rules don't apply. So if you have access to education that is much more easier, do you really need to struggle on a few set of things? Right? I think it, that is not the same. So for example, my dad would very cliche say he would walk like, you know, for an hour or two hours. I didn't have that. Doesn't make me less, doesn't make my experiences less to understand that and not impose what hardship you had and the other person doesn't have what they have to go through the same rite of passage because we'll have our own rites of passage to make. I think if you're curious, we can understand some of the real challenges that kids have today or in a different place. We might not have the answers for that and it's okay, but can we find it together and be a team with our children? I think that's the thing for me. I've never been to school out here in the US. So I'm worried about my kids going to middle school because some of the things that I hear, I don't know, have all the answers, but I'm going to partner with them to see, can we find out answers together? I love that. I love that. Um, um, I, I mean, I've got so many questions that we could go into. I don't want to be too terribly long, but any big lessons just from your own life that you are hoping to instill, you know, whether it's a value or a skill or something like that, just with your own children? For my children, there are a few things I really want them to understand. One is um, I want them to be able to take care of themselves first, and then each other, because I have two kids, and I want them to take care of each other, number one. I want them to also be able to take care of people around them, Mm. but not at the cost of them. So give respect, but also command respect in the same breath. And I think that's what I understand is assertiveness. So you're neither passive nor aggressive. And they can problem solve and come out of situations. And when needed, ask for help. And I think that's why beyond the two of them, I want them to build a community of friends and everyone will have different flavors and variety of opinions and that's okay. Live and let live. So those are my fundamentals for them that I would like them to have. I love that. Yeah, that's great. Um, so tell me more about your business. Like this is, you kind of gone, you've gone through such a journey. What are you doing now in the tech world? So I'm still very much connected to the tech world where I help people in tech 
get promotions, get their next job, but also like fend off bullies at work, how to mm -hmm. become leaders, um, certain tools and scripts that we can write and actually dress rehearse together. For example, there are people who want to continue to work remotely. How do they have that conversation with their manager? How do they have that conversation with their manager when their manager is not behaving as the leader? Mm -hmm. So how to make your manager still feel safe? Because I don't want their lizard brain to kick in and either fight or then run away. So how can you calm them down and then position your request without compromising? So I walk them through some of those steps. Uh, I try to listen more than I say. And it's really funny because they credit me for some of the advancements or credit uh, like rewards that they get, but it's all them. So the way I view it is I unleash the greatness that lies within them. At least that's one of my models for the company that I run, Grow You Now. Right. Well, that's fantastic. And that's actually right along the lines with a lot of the work. I, I think we're kind of going on a different branch here, but still very relevant. Actually, this is where I bring in the Hulk, right? The lizard brain. I'm like the Hulk brain. How do we get, you know, the Dr. Banner back on yeah. online here. So what would, so because this is relevant in all relationships, whether it's with our bosses, with our partners, with our children, with terrorists, you know, like the effective communication is so important. So what would some of those tips be? Because I think that this is yeah important for all of us. So one of the tips that I, I do want to give credit to one of my business associates, Andy Betts from Iconda Solutions, he has this thing called two minute message. It's very simple. In fact, it's right here. So what he calls is, first you give an audience context statement, then you say your key statement, your supporting statements, and then a closing. So it sounds very corporate, very boring, right? But I translated that to, in your audience context statement, you make them feel safe. So you present the context, but you bring, you calm their lizard brain or their health brain down. Your key statement is just one sentence where you just ask, uh, I want a promotion. So let's let's walk through this as a, um, I'm asking for a promotion. Mm -hmm. Hey, manager, I know that you're responsible for the seven of us in our team. And you have a lot of responsibility from people, project, and deliverables. And you have to answer up your management chain. So there's a lot on your mind. So I really appreciate you for taking care of all of us and all these things. I'm asking for a promotion in the next cycle by 10 to 15%. Very quick. Whether it's morning, night, winter, summer, doesn't matter. The truth is very clear. It's not like, okay, maybe if the person gets XR paid, they don't want the promotions, none of that. It's very clear. That's why clarity. Right. Supporting statements is typically we like to beat our chest, all of us. And it's the thing where I did that project or you know, I helped you the other day. Why can't you help me today? So it's all about the past. And there's a term in business called sunk cost. I've already spent money, it's gone, there's nothing. In fact, the reality is you did the work they can lay you off, which is happening a lot and doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. I talk about leverage, which is future. So a lot of my clients are in the tech space. They're responsible for like a 20, 50, $100 million pipeline. They're like, you want that project to close? Promote me right now. So the supporting statements is future leverage. And in closing, typically what people love to do in tech or in many other places, they summarize everything that you said. Instead, are you opposed to giving me what I requested and succeeding in doing so? Mm -hmm. So closing is just very simple, get endorsement and put give, implant skin in the game for them. Right. So this is a typical session where um, one of my clients was about to go on maternity leave. 
clashing heads with her manager. Uh, and it, it wasn't going well to the point where now she is sought after by the same manager as one of the most important people in the team and um, asked to teach her techniques to the rest of the team. It, it, it was gorgeous, like how the transformation happened over there over six months from butting heads to full on trust between each other. Mm -hmm. And two days after she gave birth to her second child, she was on a phone call with me because she wanted to feel safe. And I'm not a, you know, no way a trained psychologist or anything, um, just leveraging my pain that I had. I wanna make sure that no one else feels the pain. And uh, it's been uh, very rewarding having people, you know, engage with me like that. So it's been pretty cool over the last two years. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. That's awesome. Definitely a shift from engineering to, to this, but you bring so much experience, right? And that just kind of shows where, where those life experiences and that could be really hard, but just to bring us a little bit closer for resilience and where you're at now that you can help other people. Yeah. Um, do you use that with your kids? I actually do, not just with my kids, but some <laughs> of my clients, they've used it with their kids. Yeah. So their kids have gone and asked their dad or mom for ice cream, and they've used the two-minute message. Right. Yeah. It's, like It's fast. Yeah. Yeah. It's super fast and effective, right? So yeah, that's great. Thank you for sharing that. Um, well, it's been wonderful having you on the show. I greatly appreciate you sharing your story and, and the two minute message that I think so many people listening can use in any area of life. Truly. Um, I will have all of your information in the show notes, but for the listeners, where is the best place for them to find you? So they can email me at suraj at growyounow.com or at the YouTube channel, O-U-N-O-W. Um, as well as um, I'm on Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn. So if you look at look up my name, Suraj Ethirajan, or Grow You Now, G-R-O-U-N-O-W, you can find me. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me and hearing me out today. Thank you. <laughs>